0: What's up, everybody? Hope you're all having a wonderful day. This episode of the podcast is with Chris Cote. Cote is a professional action sports personality. He got his start as a competitive surfer and skateboarder before he became the Transworld Surf Magazine editor. I used to walk through those doors in Transworld Surf in Encinitas, California as a young lad having big dreams of one day becoming a C-grade professional surfer. Nervous as hell to talk to Kote because he held professional surfers' careers in his hands. Thankfully, Kote is a good dude with a hilarious personality and also a lot of depth. We talked uh, about some deep stuff in this show, and I uh, appreciate his perspective, and I always love chatting with him. Today, Cote is a commentator for the World Surf League and host of the Vans Park series. He's also the editor of Encinitas Magazine, where he currently resides. This episode of the podcast and every episode is made possible by Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD. I use CBD on a daily basis because I like to get fucking swole and then my muscles hurt. So I, uh, I use CBD at night. I use their tincture a lot. Um, I also use their CBD coconut oil in the morning. If I want to lather it up on my my morning brew or uh, I get lucky and get a massage, I use CBD. It works. It works great. And Santa Cruz Medicinals makes potent stuff. Their founder is a Goddamn scientist, and he uses all kinds of big words to tell me in ads that I can never remember. But it's good, it works, and you can get 10% off by going to scmedicinals.com and typing in the code name Kyle 10. I recommend starting with their CBD tincture. Go to scmedicinals.com, type in the code name Kyle 10. I'm still getting used to these online podcasts uh, they're getting the audios getting better everyone I appreciate you bearing with me as I am on this learning curve as I am sure you are there's a whole humanity is on a learning curve right now huh but hey what is life if not learning please give it up for my man Chris Cote Chris Cote, in your own house, the home studio. I was looking at your little WSL from the living room broadcast. Uh, is this your setup that you do on the WSL as well?
1: Yeah, this is. there's there's my sign that my, my son made. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the angle is a little different, but yeah, this is, uh, I got my, I had a picture of David Bowie back there, but due to uh, rights, I switched it up and this actually works much better. This is my Wave Warriors 4 on the loose autographed framed poster, um, autographed by the whole Fletcher family. When I do these uh, like surf breaks or World Surf Weekly, I always try to throw in a little Easter egg, you know, in every episode, whether it's a shirt I'm wearing or something behind me. Just something fun for, I don't know, for myself, really. But if somebody notices, I'll go, oh, yeah, you got it.
0: Yeah, all of a sudden my home office is become this thing where I'm like very conscious of how it represents me. Right. <laughs> it's like, Oh no, the whole world is at my house now. What yeah, I totally. Like?
1: The first one I did, I think there was laundry down here and there was like a pile of my underwear. And I, and halfway through I'm doing my, you know, my reads to the camera or whatever. And I just look down and they are literally that far out of the, out of the screen. So maybe next time I'll just leave a pair of underpants <laughs> like right here. Just hanging off the keyboard.
0: I like that. Have you been following Tanner Godowskis's uh, new Instagram stories where oh, he yeah. does a, um, a r- explain what this is for people because it's one of the best home office accounts I've seen so far.
1: Yeah. So Tanner is using his, uh, his, his Instagram to kind of do a mystery science theater 3000 with old surf videos, VHS and DVD. But He's, he's really evolved, right? He just started by showing these movies, you know, old Lost movies and just kind of a, a really cool mixture of movies that he's picked. But as we've gone along, he's now implemented, you know, he had Bobby Martinez watching an old Bobby Martinez video. So he has like multiple screens up and interviews with these people. And it's, I mean, it's one of those things where I've seen both sides, right? You've seen, okay, now everybody has their own show. Hey, what's up? Quarantine, day twenty-five. But, you know, for a guy like Tanner, you know, this is something he could have done anytime. And I think the fact that he's kind of ramped this up right now, he's really. And if you know Tanner Godowskis, you know, he's not doing this for his own notoriety. I truly believe he's doing this for other people, for entertainment. And of course, it's entertaining him, so it's kind of a, a, a double right there. But you know, I think there's there's certain people that are taking other people's entertainment you know seriously and they're taking it to heart and Tanner Gedauskis is a perfect example of that where i mean he's busting his ass on this thing he's making it legit and he's doing it you know he's doing it on a consistent basis which is important so he's done i don't know how many he's done probably 8 of them but they're just i mean they're getting better and better and it's just a rad concept and there's so many things that are coming out now you know all these zoom meetings and you know all of the, all of these ways to capture yourself without a production team that i mean i had never heard of zoom until 2 weeks ago or 3 weeks ago right and now you look at it oh shout about stock i know you're looking at it and you're going oh my god this is an entire this is a studio this is a switcher this is a way to record easily you know before uh, literally i'm shooting stuff off my can you know off this phone or whatever but that system which is one of many has made home production so easy and so accessible that I'm loving that people are jumping on right and now it's cool because it really everybody's pushing each other to do something funnier or do something with you know with more guests you saw the the John Krasinski good news shows that he's been putting together
0: I follow that guy, but I haven't seen his recent posts. What are they?
1: his He's probably... I think he's... So I've been watching, trying to watch everything. Stuff I normally don't watch. Good Morning America. You know, all this, all this crap. Just to see what they're doing. But John Krasinski has started the Good News Network. I think it's called that. Or something like that. But basically, you know, obviously he has access to celebrities and musicians. And he surprises people. He has you know random people out there sending sending these videos that's good news he surprised this girl and had the entire cast of Hamilton in every block you know so you know you've seen those shots where there's 20 blocks of heads it's the entire Hamilton cast singing the same song to this one little girl somewhere in the midwest because she couldn't go to Hamilton because of the cancellations and it is just i mean it is the best most positive uplifting use of this technology I've seen yet. And it is, I mean, it's, my girl and I are watching it, both just sobbing, crying, and going, come on, when's the next one coming out? We need this good news. So things like that.
0: People need good news more than ever. All of those kind of like trite little sayings, like stay positive and, you know, be grateful, all of a sudden become these life and death decisions, like the positive person and the negative person become there's there's such a stark contrast between the two now because there's such an such overwhelming evidence in a situation like this that being positive benefits you and benefits your community absolutely in so many ways. and
1: you I think this is this has gone on long enough to where people hopefully are starting to realize that negativity and complaining and all of that is not helping at all and we're all in the same boat. You know, I had this conversation with my son where uh, this is week one or week two of of all this, and he basically came in. He goes, "I'm bored," and I had to sit him down and go, "Yo, the whole world's bored. You know, I want to be at work. I want to be in Australia at this surf contest. I want to be talking about this. Everybody wants to be doing this. So it was kind of interesting to be to have to sit him down and explain to him. You know, kids are inherently selfish. They want to be entertained constantly. I did, and I still do, but." To just sit him down and have to say that. It's weird, you know? Yeah.
0: And uh, there's something beyond the boredom. Um, about a year ago, I did a, a week-long silent meditation retreat. I, I snapped my arm kite surfing and got surgery and then was out for a while. I decided, well, if with all this downtime, it's probably better time than ever to shut the fuck up for a whole week. Um, so I went out to this silent meditation retreat at this spot called Mount Madonna, and it's boring. Like There's a lot of times when you're just sitting there for hours and hours, and you got to deal with it. But one thing I learned through that experience is that there's something beyond the boredom that is difficult to access if you're being entertained all the time. And and I think that you spoke to that right at the beginning with like, what's Tanner doing? You know, Tanner Gadaska is sitting around Probably was a little bit bored and then came up with this great idea. So I think that there's something to be said about leaving room for empty space so that a greater idea can come through.
1: I think boredom is along the lines of, you know, hunger, right? You just randomly through the day, you go, I'm hungry. You're not truly hungry, right? You're just bored and you want something to satiate your boredom. And eating is a, a something we all love and it's something universal where you're bored. You're like, oh, chocolate bar, whatever. But getting past that, right, if you can kind of just sit with it, sit with that slight hunger for a minute, you get past it. And I think boredom can be the same way. If you can get through that initial feeling of I need something, right, whether it's a magazine, whether it's your phone, your computer or whatever, I mean coffee is a way to do it, right? this is something to do. All right, I'm bored. I'm gonna have another cup of coffee. I don't even particularly want coffee, but it's something to do.
0: Last time we talked on the podcast, um, you brought up um, working to get sober. And you told a story about that. And it got a huge response from my audience. I got a lot of emails from people saying that they really connected with that. And I think that it kind of ties right into what you were talking about regarding boredom and distraction. Um, have you had any new insights on that um, path since we last talked?
1: Yeah, I think coming uh, coming up in May, it'll be six years since I had a drink, and you know, I feel like nowadays, more so than ever, you know. So I guess there's different there's different levels of addiction, right? You for me after all this work after you know these years of kind of not experimenting but figuring out what it was right alcohol was my absolute achilles heel and that's what got me in the most trouble that's what spun me out into depression you know that's really what spawned my need to stop and i think so i had 3 3 or 4 years where i just didn't do anything And, you know, I think nowadays in talking to people and going, well, you know, about microdosing, about, you know, medicinal marijuana and being okay with, you know, considering yourself a sober person while you can still, you know, you can still eat a gummy and watch a movie. And this this is for me and everybody's path is obviously very different, but I, I just have realized that you know, in, in honing it in and stripping everything away and starting from scratch, I've realized what I can handle personally. And I realized what I can't handle. And I can't, I, you know, everybody who, everybody who's quit drinking, I'm sure has said the same thing at some point that, and I, I think I'm pretty sure I said this to you last time we talked was, you know, everybody just wants to be that person that can go out and have a beer and then whatever, go home. But most of us who would consider ourselves alcoholics cannot do that. And you can probably do it for, you know, if I had a beer today, tonight, it would be fine. I could probably have, I could probably do that for months and months. But I just know for a fact that there would be that night where I go, well, I'll just have two. It's fine. I, you know, I'm doing fine with one. I'll just have two. And then a week later, I'm just right back to square one. And I know that there's, I mean, you, you have to allow yourself room to fail you have to allow yourself, you know, some vices, and you know I I think it's just a matter of like looking at this, right of uh, let's say you have this, you have these two vices, right? and they they work together really well. You know, for me, it was alcohol led to drugs, and then it was that cycle. And whether it was it was it was kind of using, let's say, using Adderall to combat the tiredness. The lazy feeling and you know the, the the brain mush that you feel when you're hungover, and so then the Adderall kicks in, and you and you and you go, okay, well I beat it, I won, and then six hours later or something you feel tweaky and you're going, oh God, I need a beer. I feel like crap. Like I feel I feel like I'm tweaked out. So you have the beer, the cycle just goes and goes and goes, and that's what it was for me. It was just that es- escaping that cycle. Taking myself out of it and that has actually I mean it's opened me up to so many different things of time time use and also psychologically where, you know, you have to just I just have to tell myself every once in a while, well, I'm just tired, I'm just depressed, you know, I, I'm not motivated, and that's just me today, and hopefully tomorrow I'm not gonna be like this. But you know, you don't have anything to blame it on. You don't have, well, I'm just hung over. And that was it's the easiest it's the easiest scapegoat in the world, uh, in terms of laziness or tiredness. And I think weed can do, weed can be the same thing, but, you know, at least just sitting in, sitting in it for, for, for three or four years with nothing to blame, no substance, no, you know, no person, just yourself. Like that for me was probably the, the, the biggest thing in I guess, I, I don't know if recovery is the right, the right word, but just kind of getting through it, you know, and I had this conversation with my girlfriend the other day about changing, changing behaviors that I had before, right? I didn't know, but I was make, I was like making her feel guilty um, when she would go out with her friends or, you know, and it wasn't even something that I was consciously doing, but after a couple of times, you know, and the first couple of times I'm just going, Oh God, you're just, you're just complaining. You know, this this is you. Third time or something where she brought it up, I go, Oh my god, this is this is hundred percent me. And I do this to her, I do this to my kids, I do this to, you know, to whoever. It's this weird, like in case of emergency, break glass and the guilt comes out. And the guilt is kind of a, a something that I have subconsciously weaponized and I didn't realize I didn't really even think about it. I didn't realize I was doing it to her. And it, you know, again, that, that is something where when I was hungover or when I was on a bender or something, I had somewhere to place that guilt. I go, oh, well, I feel guilty for being a pile of shit because I'm loaded and blah, blah, blah. I did this. You know, I, I, I annoyed these people. I put my life in danger for no good reason. And so I always had somewhere to place that guilt. But now the guilt is just kind of like up in the air, and I have to just look at it and go, okay, you don't need that right now. Put that away. You know And you know that, that is something that I faced but two weeks ago. Why are you Why are you using guilt as a weapon without even thinking about it, without even trying it, it just happens. And so that's something that I had addressed, and I had told her, I go, look, I, I truly believe that I can change this behavior. If I could stop drinking, which is something that I said, for years and years. I will, I, I mean, vocally, I will never stop drinking. I love this. This shit is fun. It's part of me. It's part of my identity. I love the taste. I love the feeling. Um, you know, and to be able to say, well, I broke that behavior, that promise to myself of something I would never stop doing. And, and to me, that was like a benchmark moment, right? I stopped drinking and it's, it took it's lasted. I don't feel like drinking ever again. So I feel like I can apply those same principles to other parts of my life that I would like to change for myself. And my next my next war is going to be waged against my own guilt and using guilt as a weapon. So if you have any tips on how to do that, <laughs> I, would, I would appreciate that.
0: I, I, I commend you, first of all, um, and, and second of all, uh, I just committed to a year of no drinking as well. Um, I still, similar to you, enjoy uh, some gummies from time to time and enjoy psychedelics, but I found that drinking had a disproportionately negative effect on me, and um, I want to touch into something because more specifically not it it would, it disproportionately affected my sense of self esteem and what I thought I deserved. Um, and a lot of times I would just have a couple beers if I, even if I knew I had a big interview the next morning, um, almost I think as a subconscious way to say that I didn't deserve to bring my full capacity forward. Um, and I think that, uh, like, one of the big things that's cool about shifting a habit like that that you've done is it shows that you're po- it's it's possible to create change. Um, and a quote that I I really like and I think is super helpful is that life is less about finding yourself and more about creating yourself.
1: Right. I like that. So
0: every decision you make is, is kind of creating this new version of yourself, and every little win that you have shows you that a new identity is possible and i i think that it's it's really great that you have been in the surf world for so long and you've been a voice in the in the surf world for so long and you've been able to grow your voice along with it um you haven't s- stayed kind of ossified in your 26 year old version of yourself and spitting those same messages out now um and i think that it's that's something that takes conscious effort because it's really easy in the action sports world for people to get notoriety when they're in their teens or in their twenties and then be terrified that if they change their perspective or grow their, you know, their attitude and their message, then they'll lose their fans. Right. Um, so I think, I think it's cool that you've been able to like truly bring forward your most mature self and, 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 watch the fans come along with you
1: yeah thank you you know I, and i feel like it, it's funny when i think back of things that i did and said in trans world or you know fuel tv or whatever or even you know stuff that that i that i talk about nowadays you know i i probably have three or four different personas out there you know i have i have my kind of teenage punk persona or teenage punk feelings right that that i still you know hold true to certain beliefs about surfing or whatever but i think acceptance comes with maturity and you know same with positivity because i just remember thinking you know like you know so if let's say when i was a teenager right and you're sitting out in the lineup with your friends and you're being super obnoxious and there's a guy way out the back on a longboard trying to catch every set and you're just going oh my God, this is the worst guy ever. I can't believe he's doing it. And then you cut to whatever, 10, 15 years later, and you just, you're just you going, God, I do not want to sit there and battle it out with these assholes on the inside. And you just grab a big board and you go out the back. And you're not thinking like, I'm coming out here to catch every wave. You're just thinking, I just need a break. I just want to catch a couple waves. And I think empathy is... The, the, the biggest thing that you hopefully learn as you grow and as you mature. And empathy doesn't have to just mean, oh, like caring for, you know, caring for people less fortunate or all that. I mean, hopefully it will, but it also means empathy in common daily situations. You know, road rage, for example, is, is something that I, I, never, I never got like crazy road rage, but you get pissed off on the road, flip people, you know, like that. Like, what is this asshole doing? Cut me off, did this and that. And I remember just one day, again, like driving home, not feeling good, needed to get to home base, needed to get that home bathroom. And trust me, it was a race against time. And that one incident kind of changed my whole perspective on bad parking and bad driving and just people being idiots on the road. Idiots, me myself, driving like an idiot to get home because it was kind of an emergency and so I kind of try to just put that out there. If I see someone driving horribly, I go, you know, my initial reaction is honk or what the, what the, what the hell. But now I just kind of put it in my mind that maybe they have to use the restroom. Maybe there's, maybe there's something happening in their family. I mean, who knows how bad it is? Who knows how small it is? Maybe they're just being an asshole, but that's none of my business. That's, that's a, a, a kind of subtle empathy that I feel like I've developed over years and years and i feel like that kind of spans across so many different things you know when you see somebody at the skate park and you're going like you know this this whatever their their kit is or they're pushing with the wrong foot or you know stupid things that as a teenager you're going oh my god this guy's the worst but now you think about it, you're like god this guy's rad he does not care he just dressed up in his pajamas and whatever and he's in his flip flops and he's you know on a carver board at the skate park hell yeah go for it have fun it's developed empathy over time and and it, it can you can use it in all facets of your life and i think that is that is definitely something that's – i mean and also with the quitting drinking it's like i have developed a lot of empathy for people who still drink and drink a lot and feel like they need it cuz i go well you know i've been there i know what it's like so i think empathy is something that i've really i've really tried to dive into over the past you know 5 or 10 years. I don't know.
0: Have you ever heard the saying, uh, when you're on the road, everyone who's driving slower than you is a grandma, and everyone who's driving faster than you is a fucking psycho?
1: Exactly. Maybe they're a psycho <laughs> with diarrhea, and they just need <laughs> to get home. So you just let them go.
0: So given um, the perspective that you have on the surf industry, how long you have been in it, and this unique point in time um, that we're in right now, how do you, can you compare this to any moment in the past? Obviously not in a pandemic sense, but in terms of a, a constriction of the surf industry and what tends to happen when these constrictions, um, when these constrictions happen?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I think there's, there's probably a couple different points in time. I think in, in kind of the, let's say, competitive surfing or the, the sport of surfing, you know, 9-11 was a moment that kind of put everything on pause. You know, I had a great conversation, interview with, with CJ Hobgood about, you know, the mindset of, go, go, go. And then all of a sudden, everyone is in agreement. Everybody needs to stop. Everybody just stop and we'll figure this out. And there was radio silence and then slowly information started coming back. A month or two later, the tour got back going, and it was kind of like, okay, now there's some normalcy. CJ went on to win the world title. And it was, you know, at the time, it was like there was a very quiet little, you know, oh, asterisk on his name, right? For him, it was, you know, he wanted, he had these two kind of feelings inside of him. I want to celebrate. This is, I I did it. Life hammer, life goal, done. Done. But then there's the guilt side of him that's like, well, you know, I I kind of feel bad because this and that, you know, it's really hard to kind of put those two feelings together, guilt and just sheer joy. Um, but he, you know, and it took him time. It took him years and years to get through that. And so I feel like 9-11 is a really interesting kind of correlation to what's happening now. The global shutdown, um, the fear element was there, huge, um, you know, that that was a time where people were trying to find an enemy where it you know there was an entity that you could be mad at right it was this group of people but it was really you know these six people or whatever this this cell was and so right now i think people when this thing started people were looking for an enemy and you know unfortunately for uh, america we had a we had the guy in charge who volunteered an enemy for all of us for a while and you know I, I've, I that was really sad to hear and see because this could have been a time of of such unity from the very beginning but i think that that initial kind of sense of awe shock and awe of oh we got to stay home we got to do this we can't surf we can't do that all those things started building up and then finally a lot of people just cracked and they're like, well, we need someone to blame. We need an enemy right now. That's gonna make us feel better. And I I, I think our, our leaders latched onto that and they go, Okay, we got we got one for you. Or, you know, we we have this group we can address our anger towards. But I don't think it worked. I think people saw through it, you know. I think there's there's instances and moments where, you know, the difference between now and with 9-11, you know. What, what, what can you who who can you fight? You know, you can't volunteer to I'm gonna sign up, I'm gonna go kick some ass. Because what are you gonna do? And so I think that's kind of something that people are are, are sitting with and trying to figure out, you know, their enemy is their own selves. Their enemy is the, the 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 back of their mind going, Well, they're not talking to me when they say we can't serve. I can serve. I'm not one of those people. You know, I like I don't have to wear a mask, I don't have to do that. So that's that's the enemy is is ourselves.
0: I think there's an an analogy to be drawn between um, what you said earlier about sobriety and this moment, because you said N- there are times now when I'm tired or I'm bored and I just need to realize that that's okay. Um, and we're all sitting in a ton of uncertainty right now. And it's important to remember that that's also okay. And it's okay to feel shitty or afraid or, you know, the, the, Dalai Lama still suffers. He just suffers better than most of us. The difference in when you're when you create it, he stubs his toe. Ah! The difference in in you know what Trump is trying to do to create an enemy is to say it's actually not okay to sit in this uncertainty and fear. I'm going to give you an enemy so that you can uh, have a more to certainty. You know, like right now, we're like this little boat in this, you know, everyone's in their little dinghy in this crazy storm. And no one knows how bad it's going to get or if they're going to going to wash up on some island in paradise somewhere. But by creating an enemy, it's like this this more that you can like loosely attach your little dinghy to no matter how, you know, how, how thin the rope is. Um, but if you do, if you do, you'll stay in the middle of the storm and you won't allow your dinghy to get washed wherever it's going to go.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I, I, feel like this is, this is an unprecedented moment in history and you know, I don't, you can't compare this to any, you know, swine flu or any other virus or pandemic that's happened because we all have so much, too much information yet not enough. We have so many theories and so many ideas and so many possibilities, yet there's no, there's nothing clear. You know, It's not like, if you put it in terms of, let's say, in surfing, right? It's not like a WSL event where we have 10 days. We don't know exactly when we're going to do this, but it, it's going to be over on this date. And, and you go back and you check in every morning. All right, the waves are good. We're going to go today. And then you can kind of tell yourself as either a fan or a commentator or a surfer as that, you know, you wrap up that first day and you're like, all right, sweet three, three more days we have left of this contest. And you know, you start to get excited, right? Okay. Quarterfinals are here now. This is ramping up. This is getting fun. And then the finals happen and you celebrate and it's over. And then you look towards the next thing. That's a, that's kind of what, what I think we all wish was happening. We all wish, I think when, you know, when the president, said Easter. Well, we'll we'll be good. I think, I mean, to me, he's an idiot, but that one statement, even for me, I was going, okay, that sounds good. I like it. (laughs) Good. Sweet. Not even thinking about this is impossible. (laughs) And this is idiotic. I don't even believe in Easter. I do like chocolate eggs, hollow, dark chocolate bunnies. I like those, but just that little notion of, well, oh, there's a date. Sweet. Because I'm so, I mean, I'm sure your calendar looks like mine, right? You have blocks of things. This is happening. This is happening. And, you know, I had six trips that were happening. Boom, boom, boom. And I felt good about it because I knew exactly. I go, all right, April 20th, I'm going to be there. I got to do this on that date. And basically, it's just select all and delete the calendar from here on out because who the hell knows where we're going or what's going to happen and it's it's you can tell yourself things like okay june 15th that's going to be the day where we're going all right back to work we're going to go to concerts again we're going to you know go sit at the coffee shop and talk to people um, and i think i don't I, I don't think it's a bad thing if you know you if you get yourself worked up and say it's June 15th or that's it. You know, obviously that's not a good thing, but, you know, I think little little things like that can help.
0: What uh, What's it been like working with the WSL and how have they rearranged their entity in light of all this?
1: It's been pretty impressive. I mean, to be honest, I'm not just saying that because I'm getting paid by them, but, you know, so the two things that I'm most in on with the WSL is WSL Surf Breaks, which is basically the you know, minute-long daily news update. So we have a small group. There's six or eight of us that compile the scripts. You know, more often than not, I would shoot it on my phone anyway. I'd go to LA or Santa Monica to the WSL HQ once a week um, to shoot it there. But, you know, Surf Breaks is something that is kind of unchanged by all this. Um, WSL Weekly was a brand-new show that, you know, we came together, we've been planning for months and months, we did one show in the set that we had built for our show, and so this was going to be a global show for network TV, you know, basically a weekly wrap-up of everything that's happening in the surf world, and pretty cool how fast-paced it moved, you know, they, they asked me to be the host, I came on as host and a producer, and we just started hammering it, and then this all happened after our first, you know, we did We did two shows in the studio, or uh, I should say like a pilot and then a normal show, and then this all happened, and they didn't miss a beat, you know? I'm so impressed by producers and directors that do not let a freaking global, they didn't let a global pandemic get in the way of them doing this show, and so we did it from the house, and they figured out how to do it, and figured it out pretty quickly, and you know i've seen amazing producers at work before literally i was on a shoot a commercial shoot in the maldives for a samsung tv ad for like a european ad or something and the producer on site with us would not quit would not take no for an answer did circumvented all, i mean it was i was telling the guy i'm like we are going to die We have to stop. And he looked at me, he goes, I'm not going to let you guys die. I'm going to get the shot. And he did it. So we were in the Maldives, and we had Chipper Wilson and Damian Hobgood in the water, and they were on these neon boards, and we were trying to light up underneath this, it was a little kind of soft left point break, and we had this little boat with a generator on it, and we were trying to get these lights underwater to shoot. To shine up when they were riding the waves two days we're getting rocked in the boat you know and so this guy went back to the main town and rented a barge with an even bigger generator with bigger lights and we're paddling boards with these one inch cables and these giant lights I mean it was there was lightning I don't think if we were shooting that in America that it would have continued but the fact was that we were not and she powered through and i have never seen anything like it and the 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 belief in doing it. I mean, I was the first one when when the first time we shot the WSL Weekly show from from home, I'm going, this is not gonna happen. And then, you know, the producers, the directors are going, Well, let's just try it, let's do this. And then you kinda, you know, when you have a team coalesce like that, you're going, All right, let's go. Let's make it happen. And so it you, you feel that. And, you know, look, it, it's 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 a commercial show. We are Spotlighting a lot of things that are happening in the WSL in their bubble, but we're also trying to, you know, celebrate other things happening in the surf world, interviewing surfers, giving them an outlet, you know, having fun. It's definitely not your hardcore, you know, like hardcore grizzled surf guys are gonna tune in and just be like, yeah, this is a broad audience show. And I think it's done well enough that, you know, hardcore servers could watch it and be entertained and somebody like my, my mom, my mom sends the show out to all her friends from, you know, around Arizona, Florida, wherever, who do not surf. And she sends it out to them and they watch it and they come back and they go, wow, that was great. Entertaining. So it's, it's something that we're creating that it's, it's, it's entertainment. It's light. It's fun. It's also informative. And you know, if 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 you've watched the show, we've been we've been growing and we've been somehow, you know, the the last show we did that comes out uh, in a couple of days, depending on when you're when you're listening to this, we had we had so I have my computer here, I got my phone filming me with a lavalier mic. I have another phone behind me with a headpiece in. So the director's talking to myself and the co-host Erica Hosseini at her house. So she's got the same setup. Then I have an iPad with the script right here. And I'm, and as we're going through it, I go, this is crazy that this is actually working. And then you see it after the edit and you're going, you guys are heavy that you're able to put all this shit together and make a show this good out of, you know, imagine just fifth, you know, it's a puzzle and everything's moving and everything's timed differently. And, Nobody on the crew for this show has has complained, has diverted from the goal of getting this show out.
0: What was the last show about?
1: Uh, the last show, you know, we had who we had. We had C.J. Hobgood on the last show. Talked to Jack Robinson. Um, you know, it's the the formula is big interview at the beginning. Um, you know. Something in the middle with some meat on the bone, whether it's an opinion piece or, you know, celebrating something like uh, perfect tens at Margaret River or perfect tens at Bell's Beach. Then we go around the horn, and you have Strider and Kaipo, and you know the comment Joe Trappel talking about these waves, and you know all these pieces fitting together. So you know it's your standard 22-minute four-block show: the intro, the meat piece, and the A-block. The B block is some kind of story about a topical item. Um, C block is something fun. And then the last part of it is something we call set of the day. And it's basically this week in surfing. So it's like Tyler Wright's birthday. Uh, this is the week where Freddie Patachia smashed his board on the rocks at Snapper. And so we're trying to kind of look back at this this week. So this is Bell's week, right? It's Easter we're all supposed to be getting psyched and ready to watch bells go down. Um, Obviously that's not going to happen. So what we, what we did is go back and look at the best moments of bells, get some new opinions on these previous, you know, these older events. So it's kind of looking at these things with fresh eyes and it's, you know, it's, it's fast paced graphics and things moving in. So it's got that kind of like entertainment factor to it. But It's it's just—it's basically—it's entertainment, it's information, and it's fun. It's a different way to present the world of surfing to the audience.
0: Has the WSL made any announcements about how they're going to move forward with this year, given that they're not going to do bells and probably other competitions? How they're going to move forward with, you know, picking a world champion and whatnot?
1: You know, I think it's—I think it's same as any other sport where we're all in this kind of just waiting game. And Hmm. you can, you know, I think the WSL did a great job in basically saying Australia is canceled. Take that off the board. And that again, gave the surfers, gave the fans, it gave them something to go, okay, well that's off the board. Now let's look forward. So we're looking at, you know, G land, Brazil, Tahiti, those events coming up. And I think if the, if the surfers, if the fans, if the WSL can accept the fact that you know uh, a, a quarter of the tour did happen, yet we can still crown a champion. I mean, I, I think you could crown a champion with two or three events, and I, I they do
0: that on the big wave world Exactly.
1: Tour. So I feel like you know the WSL is in the waiting game right now. Of you know they have smart people on this. They have they have they have the means to look at this through the lens of a global business and they don't, they don't let me in on the backroom conversations of, of those kind of decisions. So it's, it's almost kind of like just the wait and see. And I think, you know, I don't think the surfers know any more information than we do. I don't think, uh, and I think it's kind of just the upper, the upper management of all, of all these corporations, whether it's baseball, NHL or whatever, they're, they're all in the same boat. I mean, they want, we all want to surf. We all want to watch baseball. We all want to see football happen. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of who who goes first. I just heard what yesterday, the UFC was supposed to still happen with no fans and all that, but that just got kiboshed.
0: Wouldn't that be amazing if there was a fight with the, in the UFC and a whole stadium and it was completely empty?
1: Right? Yeah, I, and I thought that that's what was going to happen with the NCAA tournament, but you know, I, it's it's a it's a patience thing. I mean, you can get really hung up on. I, I get really I, I got really kind of emotional thinking about weird things. You know, kids missing their senior prom. I thought about that over graduation because I remember when I walked at my high school graduation, I'm like, this is so dumb. I was stoked that I just painted my hat, but I know that means a lot to some people but i was thinking about senior prom i was thinking about um you know those those little things that people are going to miss and that that's those are the things that get me emotional um you know i don't like i know baseball like baseball is going to come back all these all these things are going to happen again and you know hopefully there's a way that we can kind of go back and fix and, and and replace some of the things some of the sentimental things that were missed weddings you know all that stuff that truly shows that we're all in this together and i don't know then then of course you start hearing things about churches opening and stuff like that and that's a whole different that's a whole different rant
0: yeah well on the the rant of looking back you've had a unique perspective on last year's world tour and we had a new world champion crowned um and you got to be right up close to the action the whole year through. Can you give me some insight on Italo Ferreira um, and how this guy went from being relatively unknown to the 2019 world champion?
1: You know, I think this was, this was truly a, a people's movement. I think Italo thrives on the positivity and the fan base. And I, I think that his trajectory... He made it undeniable for judges to give him scores, and he made it—you know—he did it. He did it clean. I don't—I don't remember Italo particularly hassling or, you know, needing a .10 to get. He just—he just did it his way, and he did it with with this excitement level that we haven't seen yet. You know, Gabriel Medina, who is—I mean—the most competitive dude there is. The most consistent surfer in the world at really any wave on the championship tour. I mean, the guy is unflappable. He is, he's, he's one of those surfers that you just, you know, he's going to win. And so I think, you know, people love a champion like that, but it starts to wear on you. It starts to get a little bit old when, when you see this singular focus, right? I just want to win. I think what made Kelly Slater, Andy Irons, um their rivalry so exciting was it almost was overshadowed the fact that they wanted to win and they just wanted to beat each other and so you didn't really get to see that that thing of like oh well kelly just wants to win you know this is kind of boring where i felt that with gabriel like he didn't really have rivals per se he just wanted to beat everybody and it was this robotic thing and it was pretty, you know, it was cool to see the Terminator at work in his first couple of years. But I think last year, when we started to see Italo coming up, you know, Felipe coming up, these surfers doing it with kind of a different energy where they cared about what the crowd thought. They cared about getting, you know, applause and they cared about putting on a show. And I think kind of people started getting on that bandwagon of like, why not Italo? You know, this guy is doing he's a guy that stands up on a wave and no matter what you can't look away. You know, like I pretty much know what Gabriel's gonna do most times. You know what Slater's gonna do most times. Um, you know, you, you really almost even know what John John's gonna do a lot of the times. But Ithalo is a guy where the second he stands up, you're 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 going, Oh god, something crazy's about to happen. And I think that's that's why the momentum and the push got behind him so much and you know it was it was close, and it was just such a rad story all the way to the end. And I feel like if it went different, you know, you had that energy on the beach, and even for the Medina camp, right, the the, the closed camp and the extended Medina camp, when Itzal won, it was just it was almost like a moment of ah oh, bummer. But the good news is Itzal won, and we're all stoked. You know, if I think it, it would have been different if it was, you know a different surfer in that position. And Italo has just he's so fun to watch and it's so undeniable his energy and he's a nice dude. I mean, I don't recommend surfing with him because he catches a lot of waves. But god is it fun to watch live and up close. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, he has so
0: much spontaneity. Um as as you said, you really don't know what he's going to do on a wave and um in my experience Watching people that usually have that kind of spontaneity, they also don't have the fundamentals to go along with it. There's something usually kind of quirky about the style or their turn. so it's it's a kind of one or the other thing. Or you'll have someone who who learned all the strong fundamentals and then they'll learn those crazy moves. But I remember seeing early videos of Italo like you know six years ago, where he was doing rodeo flips on little waves in Brazil on like two foot waves but he also had the fundamentals to go along with it. And it's kind of a, it's a unique approach where he has both of them so solidly together. Um, it I, I haven't really seen that. And and I mean, Gabrielle and, and John also do have that, but um, I think that to, to, to the degree that Italo can do it, I, you, it's almost like he could just be pumping down the line on a wave and do like a four foot Ollie if he wanted to at any point.
1: Yeah. You know, it was, you know what was pretty fun about last year was you know the 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 worst part, the dark side, the down like the moment that everything changed was when John John got hurt in Brazil. We started to see that rot, you know, John was on fire. He was I, I thought he was I mean everybody thought he was gonna win the title. The way he was surfing, the consistency, and you saw Gabriel scared, you know, visibly shit, shook by what John was doing. John gets injured, and kind of the, the sees part, and Gabriel's going, all right, I got this. It's, it's mine now. So I think he may, he is so focused on John John that he didn't notice his homie back here, who was, you know, if Gabriel was in the race and he's cruising to the lead and he's going, yep, got this, and this car comes from 20, 20 car lengths back and just goes, whoo, right by him, and you're going, oh! Sh-. Now you got to get on the gas pedal. So I, I almost think it was a, a tactical, uh, I guess a long game tactical error, where he was so focused on John, that he didn't notice, you know, what Italo was doing over here on the peripheral until Italo started winning events, and then the battle came down to the end. Yeah,
0: well, it's a good analogy too. A lot of race cars will draft off of the other one yeah. so that they can save all that energy, and they're not going through the atmosphere on their own. And Gabrielle was one of those guys that had all the attention on him. It was almost like he had to forge through all that adversity. And Italo just skirked around him right at the end and with his tongue out being like, I'm
1: stoked. Yeah. And thank goodness. I mean that the scene on the beach would have been, I feel like it would have been a giant balloon just empty and like, and you know, not taking anything away from Gabriel, but I just know the the good versus evil, the, you know, the the whole kind of story would have been different and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been as fun. And I think that's why we're all watching this. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's fun to get involved. And it's you know, it's, it's fun at the end when the quote good guy actually does win.
0: Well, hey man, I wanna be respectful of your time. I appreciate you coming on, but uh one to end it on the fun note. Um, what are you doing to maintain fun in your life amidst quarantine?
1: Um, well, a lot of time on that couch, I had a, a, you know, this is one of the rare times in life for all of us that we can do guilt free day long binges of television. And really, you know, you you can tell yourself, you're going, I'm helping the world right now by watching Tiger King. I'm helping the world right now by starting true detective all the way from season one and going all the way to season two. Um, You know, so it's, it's, in a way, that's been something that I've had trouble doing nothing for the better part of the last 20 years. So, the fact that doing nothing actually helps is making me feel pretty good. Um, you know, this, this kind of stuff, music, um, you know, my, my kids are here half the time. And so, when they're here, that, that's, a, that's a, a, a challenge and a goal is entertaining them in a, in a positive way. And now becoming a homeschool teacher and, you know, I think just working on relationships has been, you know, uh, something I think everybody's had to deal with, whether it's your own family. I mean, my, my, my girl and I are, we are in each other's face 24 hours a day. And I think you, you have to cognitively work on relationships because there's, you know, we, we get a couple hours apart here and there, but for the most part, it's like, we're in this together. So you know, it's, it's, it's been, I don't know, there's been, there's been moments of despair and just sheer boredom, but there's been a lot of times of relaxation and, you know, just feeling good, doing nothing, which again is very rare for, I think a lot of us. I know you're, you're a motivated person, Kyle, you know how it is. You want to wake up and kick the day's ass. But a lot of these days, there's just nothing you can do. So you have to look, I'm in a full, I'm in a full sweatsuit. I'm in for the day. Oh, I'm in. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, hand, you got sweatpants, um, yeah. a uh, Haw- Hawkins physical education sweatshirt, and a yeah. beanie on. Oh boy,
1: that's 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 life today. This is,
0: that's your quarantine. This uniform. was my
1: this was my big event today. <laughs> so thank you for that. Now after this, I can really retire for the rest of the day.
0: Well, uh, I once saw a bumper sticker that said, "Don't just do something, sit there."
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: Chris Cote, thank you so much. Where can people find you and uh, tune in to all of the great shows that you put out?
1: Uh, At Chris Cote on Instagram and at worldsurfleague.com to watch World Surf Weekly and WSL Surf Breaks. That was my announcer voice. Just kicked right in.
0: That's the show. I'm going to play you out with a song called Three Foot Tires and Rising by Oppo. These guys listen to the podcast. And if you are a musician and you want your tunes played, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. That's where you can also send a voice memo. Uh, Pull out your phone. Let me know who you are, some details about where you're listening from. Try and keep it under a minute. And I would love to play it at the beginning of the show. Thank you once again to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these podcasts. And if you want to hear some of my Writing. You don't hear writing, you read writing. Uh, you can go to my website, kyle.surf. I just wrote a fun little short story about my attempt to stay silent and not use my phone for a day. Uh, hope it gives you a laugh. That's on my website, kyle.surf, and that's also where you can sign up for my newsletter. Hope you all have a great day. If it's legal, get out in the water. If it's not, take a bathtub. Hope you all enjoy this song called Three Foot Tires and Rising by Opo. See you soon.
2: The burning right stacked up in Time, call her. It's downtime for me. It's downtime the family, in my family, and my families. got Chris, I saw you walking by.